0: Hey, hey, it's Dr. Cheryl Bryant-Bruce, MD, you know me, the celebrity doc, and we are here with Chatters That Matters, and I am so excited about this show because we have got the most interesting guest on tonight, And I mean, she is absolutely fascinating, but before we go to our guest, we're just going to do a little bit of, of quick housekeeping here, I am a bona fide MD. And if you hear anything on the show today that constitutes medical information, do understand there is no doctor patient relationship between yourself and myself. And if you have any takeaways, then take them to your own doctor and ask about your personal situation. I am not your physician. Love you, but I'm not your doctor. This show is here to educate, inform, and entertain you, Chatters That Matters. I'm here with my co-host, the fabulous, handsome Hurricane H. And now, with no further ado, we are going to bring in our guest. Our guest tonight is insanely courageous, and she has got a life story that, boy... You think that Angelina Angelina Jolie and Mr. and Mrs. Smith (laughs) and all of the shows that she did was fabulous. Well, this lady is the real McCoy. Welcome, Angelica Robles.
1: Hi, thank you so much for having me. It's it's a privilege to be here.
0: I am so excited to have you and I'm going to let you tell the audience, who you are, because I can do it no justice. You are just absolutely, insanely amazing. Hats off Thank to you, girl.
1: Thank you. I appreciate it. So I am a Forbes published international bestselling author, motivational speaker, mindset coach, and executive producer. I worked for the government for about 18 years. Two of those years, I was undercover. And now I am an author and I go around the world telling my story in hopes to touch, move and inspire other women who have had a crazy traumatic life and turned it around and made lemonade with those lemons.
0: Okay. And when we say trauma and drama, (laughs) boy, you have really done it. Talk to us, let's start from the beginning. What yes. made you decide to go into investigation, investigative work?
1: Yes. So I grew up in Cicero, West Side. That's in Chicago, which is a suburb of Chicago. Very high crime area, very gang-related uh, area. Uh, I grew up in the ghetto, pretty much. I went to a high school that had so much violence. We had, you know, all the gang and all that situation. We had shootings. So I grew up in pretty much a very violent and volatile neighborhood. And so when I was 15, one of my friends was murdered, dismembered and decapitated by the cartel. And as a 15 year old, you can just imagine that this was very difficult to process. It was very difficult to digest and it affected me. I had, you know, major depression. I went into therapy and it really saved my life. I'm a big proponent of therapy. And so that kind of the pain that I felt from that catapulted me into wanting to work for the government, study forensic psychology, and then, you know, do all that. So I feel like I picked my career based on my pain, really. Right. And that happens so
0: often that that people do. A lot of psychologists go into psychology because they're trying to sort themselves out. So right. you go into forensics and What do you do with it? What happens from there?
1: So I get to college and, you know, I was, I was very grateful to have such a good therapist when I was in high school because growing up as an adolescent is already hard as it is, but dealing with so much trauma and trying to process it really was something that I never thought I could process without therapy. You know, I was suicidal. It's all in my book. I talk about the feelings and the thoughts of how, how you go through this and how your mind tries to piece it all together and of course, you go through the grieving phase and the anger and you know all of that. And so as a young adolescent, it was very difficult. So I went to college and I decided to do uh forensic psychology. And I had also I was doing I was gonna do pre-med. So the original plan was that I was gonna go be a doctor. I was gonna be an MD. Okay. <laughs> but things, you know, that that was kind of the path that was geared towards from my parents and my family, everybody wants you to be the doctor, the lawyer, but let's,
0: let's, let's let's stop there. Let's talk about that. Yeah. Your parents want you to be this, this doctor and you go sideways into something completely removed from that. How did your parents to that?
1: Not good. (laughs) Not good at all. I actually, you know, the story was I actually got into med school And I was in anatomy class and they were going through all the tiny little ligaments in the hand. And I'm like, you know what? Screw this. So I walked (laughs) out, I called my mom, I told her, I'm not going to be a doctor. And she was, you know, in tears because, you know, our parents lead this like road for us and they want the best for us, especially my parents are immigrants from Mexico Right. But I remember I told my dad, I said, I'm going to go work for the government. And my dad was like, Yes, that's my daughter. Okay. <laughs> but at least that, yeah. At
0: least I had this. Mom and of my... dad were on different paths as far as what they saw your future. Look right. Like.
1: Right. Okay. Right. Because, you know, the, the the doctor path was a safe way and you could see patients and work a nine to five. And you, you know this. <laughs> nine to five. Yeah. When I ever saw those. <laughs> right. Right. So I ended up, um, so you know you you can't join as a federal agent on your until you're 23. So I graduated college at 21, and so after I left, I ended up going to do a criminal counseling case management for um, Cook County. So for those that know about Cook County, wow, those are if if you remember those that follow R. Kelly, that's where he was being charged here in, in Chicago. So I went right. to go. Over- Right.
0: Yeah. For those of you who don't know, Cook County is serious business. It is rough territory.
1: Right. So and then this is a great story. I I put this in the book. So the guy who had killed my friend was sentenced to death. Mm -hmm. And he tried to say that he was not guilty due to insanity. He tried to play that card. Right. Well, my first internship I walked into Cook County and Judge Lampkin was my supervisor. So Judge Lampkin was the judge that had put my friend's killer to death. Uh But in 2006, the death penalty was abolished in the state of Illinois by the the governor. And so now he still sits on death row. So it's a crazy... Yeah, it's what a, a crazy story. Form of events. I know, I know. And and I talk about this in the book because everything is just interconnected and it's wild, but right. Now give, give us the, name of the stuff book. Up. Give us the name of the book. So the, of the book. <laughs> so the name of the book is Through These Brown Eyes. The back of this is the back of the cover, a little pieces of it. Uh-huh. And it's just a rendition, it's a memoir of my life, growing up, trauma, uh working for the government, and then of course leading towards the end of the book which is the big reveal so
0: right right now are we able to talk about that on on air is that yes
1: yes we can we can talk about it we can't I mean we can't really get into detail but it's the end of uh, book one I'm uh, starting book two so book two has already been started which is going to be called the power of forgiveness and that's that's in the works right now Okay so tell us this
0: dramatic story uh, that unfolded in your life once you became an, a full on
1: official investigator. Yes so I did 2 years of undercover work and I started in Chicago and it was uh, I started with corporate fraud. So whenever I whenever we mention corporate fraud a lot of people think you know oh it's blue collar crime. So it's not blue collar crime. Corporate fraud is white collar crime, which is anything over $30,000. So we're talking about money embezzlement. We're talking about money laundering, that type of thing. And so Ponzi schemes. So a lot of people automatically think it's big corporations, big businesses, but they forget that the cartels are considered white collar crime because it's organized crime and they're making millions of dollars. And a Mm -hmm. lot of these cartel members are also business owners because they have all types of legitimate businesses that obviously were bought with drug money, but they're still businesses. So I started doing undercover work. And let me take you guys back. Okay. So I'm 41 years old. I have no problem telling people my age, but when we were doing undercover work, there was no iPhones, there was no... Checking in, there was that stuff didn't exist back then. We were doing the hardcore old school surveillance where we're in the bushes hiding in the vans, following you around. We weren't sitting behind computer screens like surveillance is done now. Now we could just hack into your phone and know where you're at. This is old school investigator work.
0: Now that's huge because you know I hadn't even processed. Uh, that, you know, as you told the the story, as I heard about the the story, I hadn't even processed the conditions under which you would have been working. That's absolutely, I mean, I'm sitting here, I'm shaking, I'm literally shaking, because (laughs) that would be absolutely terrifying. Terrifying. Going into that with that knowledge that your
1: backup isn't a cell phone ring away. Wow. And actually, Till this day, I have a story. I share this in the book. Till this day, because I was taken, there was one time. Well, there is more multiple times where your cover is, is revealed. But the one time that I, I was taken, I had two phones on me. And, and, you know, this will be a shout out to, to the telephone company, the cell phone company. I had two phones on me. I had my personal, which was a T-Mobile and I had my government issued phone, which was a Verizon phone. The only way that they were able to pinpoint where I was, the T-Mobile, I was, This is in upstate New York, so when I say upstate, I'm talking about the mountains in right. the snow. Right. My T-Mobile T-Mobile phone went dead. It was gone. Like uh-huh. it was just completely dead. But my government phone was a Verizon phone, and I had stuck it in my bra. So when they took me, as the van was going through the mountains, it pinged one of the towers that was there that was the only way they were able to locate me and that's okay. when pinging was kind of now the where you check in we, we can hack into your phone now and we can know where you're at especially yeah. now it's so easy yeah. but that was the only way they were able to locate me so since then i've always had verizon <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, me too. I've had Verizon
0: for a gazillion years now. Right,
1: let's and back- I'm not going to anyone
0: else. <laughs> right. Let's backtrack a little bit now. We 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 we've gotten this exciting story about the mountains, but still, they have no idea what what you were doing there. So let's give them the backstory as to how you got yes. into
2: mountains.
1: Right. So everything that I was doing was undercover. So I was either, and when I say undercover, a lot of people think that I was actually being part of transactions, which at some point I was. But a lot of the times when you do undercover work, you're trying to get evidence to convict on a larger level, right? Mm -hmm. So you almost have to fit in. But when I started, I literally was following you around. like I was hiding. I was in the grocery store with the hat, reading the magazine. Those things are true and Uh just following you around. And a lot of it is Because back then, we didn't have the technology that we have now. So in order for us to get any type of audio or any type of conversations, we had to follow you and try to uh, serve. It's it's pretty much surveillance, old school surveillance. So we would be outside of your bushes, listening to your phone conversations from outside. And Uh there was some gadgets that we did have back then that allowed us to, to tap into conversations The old school way, if that makes any sense. Uh huh. Did you have like the click pens and things like that? Yes, we did have the click pens. We did have, you know, the the glasses with the camera. I remember I I had a purse that I would wear, and we had cut out a hole on the side of it, so I would wear it, and I would walk around. You know, if I was at a jewelry store at a mall, you know, very nonchalant, and they would videotaping. The conversations and and you know the interactions with the other people so th- those things are real so okay old school, old school.
0: <laughs> wow wow now as i ask you questions if i get into anything that you cannot answer of feel course, free yeah. to say that you can't and if we need to cut i mean hurricane this is not alive it will be right. <laughs> it will be aired but um You know, if we need to cut, we can cut. So I just want to be very careful uh, uh, about this. But you at one point actually married into the cartel, is my understanding? I did. I did.
1: Tell me about that. So without knowing, so talk about the irony, right? I'm considered a world-class interrogator. And here I am sleeping with the enemy. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's crazy. It, and you know what? You can make this, you can't make this stuff up because even I, I, I was totally taken aback. So the, the way the story was me and my husband at the time had been together for uh, 10 years. We were, had been together for 10 years uh-huh. now during COVID, everything was shut down. Right. Everybody was at home and I, I couldn't travel. So I couldn't do any of my interrogations. I had six contrasts at the time And I was traveling to California in different areas, but because of COVID, everything was shut down. Right. So during that time, I was on a podcast and I came on the podcast and told my story. And one of the the guys from the podcast, uh, Mark Wilkinson, he said to me, he said, you really need to write a book about your life because it is totally insane and it's astonishing. And I had tinkered with the idea of writing a book, a tell all book but I um, knew that it came with consequences because right. I had worked for the government for so long. And if you read my book, I really go in on a lot of things in the book. And so I decided to write the book and I said, you know what, let me just do it because I had the time. Right. So I wrote the book, I write it in three weeks. And I always yeah. say to people, the three weeks was a cathartic experience for me because writing the book was evoking so much emotion I needed to get it out of my system and onto paper and that's why it happened so quickly so book is done it was about my life I put everything in there childhood trauma I unveiled family secrets that people thought were going to the grave I mean it I talked about everything sex okay let's let's stop you let's stop you there again
0: how did the family react to that. Now this book comes out and you spilled all the tea. So, so Not good what happened all. with that?
1: Um, there was a lot of things that I uncovered in that book. And really what made it easy for me is I let go of fear of judgment. And I said, you know, mm-hmm. if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this right. And if I'm going to do this, I'm going to break some generational curses as I'm going along.
2: Because you? once
1: you're in, you're in. So right. it's either zero or 100. There's no gray area in, in writing a tell-all book. And so I decided, you know what? I'm just going to unveil everything that's gone down in my family. Um, you know, there was incest in there. There was a lot of, uh, there was rape. There. Were, I mean, I talk about everything. I touch a little bit about everything and, you know, molestation and stuff like that. Right, right. And um, family members were not happy. Till this day, I I don't talk to probably like 80%. Of okay, my mm-hmm. mom's side of the family. Right. And, but but this is something that I knew, it came with the territory. So right. I knew that if I did this, it was gonna come with some backlash. Right. So th- there are some people that were not happy at all. And, and of course, they claimed it was all a lie. And, but yeah, yeah. The, the guilty squeak loudest. <laughs> right? Yeah, you're absolutely right. And so I unveiled a lot of things, but I will say this. I think that when I did unveil some of the, you know, deep rooted family secrets that were going on, I ended up getting closer to some of my cousins because Mm -hmm. then they came forward and said the same thing happened to me. So. Right. Right. And now that it's, now that it's out in the air, maybe it
0: will prevent it from happening going forward.
1: Right. Definitely. And I think, You know, you grow so much when you write something as deep as I did and the growth is immense. But the outburst that I got back, the positive outburst that I got from people saying, I read your book and it empowered me to tell my truth and break my generational curses and my family bonds and ties. And so that was the purpose of the book. The purpose of the book was always to move, touch and inspire because yeah. i talk about things that i'm not proud of in the book but mm-hmm. i also give my audience a look into my life as to th- this is a tell all i'm not mm-hmm. perfect i made a lot of mistakes along the way and yeah. i continue to make a lot of mistakes along the way and i think the biggest one is you know i was considered one of, i'm considered one of the best interrogators in the world yet i still married somebody that was not for me completely not for me so okay,
0: let's, let's, let's stop there. Okay. So this is a real Mr. and Mrs. Smith story. It really <laughs> so, is, yeah. so you're this interrogator. Did your husband know that this was your line of work? And if he did, because husbands and wives talk about what they're doing at, at work, were you inadvertently unknowingly feeding him the intel about the work you were doing?
1: I wasn't. I think a lot of people think that. So he did not marry me to steal secrets because there's re- there was really no I mean, he was he grew up in the cartel. He was a child of the cartel. And, uh-huh. I, and, I, and I said, the, the, the easiest way that I can describe it, that's probably closest to what he described to me was like Ozark, where the kids were just kind of into the, they, they, they became part, it became part of their life and it became it part their life. of their existence, right? Mm-hmm. And when you're a child, you can't really get out of it, you know? And right. so his father started dealing drugs in the millions when he was young and when he was in high school. So the only way that I explain it to people is I grew up in an environment where there was gunshots. So gun mm-hmm. sh- listening to gunshots was the norm in my neighborhood. So Mm -hmm. for him, seeing lots of money, seeing lots of cocaine, seeing lots of drugs and strippers and all that was part of the life because it became normality. Mm
2: -hmm. And as
1: crazy as that sounds, that's the easiest way that I can describe it. Checks out, makes sense to me. Right.
0: (laughs) So here, uh, here, he's in the cartel. When did you come to the realization that he was in the cartel?
1: He told me. So the way that it all happened, and again, the irony. So when I had my contracts, they all were canceled because I had travel contracts. You know, I'm thinking I'm going to be at home with the kids. And he was like, no, you got to go work. So I go and work at the DEA office. So this Mm -hmm. is the crazy part. I'm here working at the DEA office now. I was working night shift in the wire room because now technology is different. Now we can tap into phones and all that. So I'm working as a supervisor in the DEA wire room in Houston. My book is finished. He decides that he wants to read the transcript before he goes to editing. So I said, cool, you know, read it. But red flag number one, when we started dating, he said, I don't wanna talk about anything from my past or your past or my childhood or your childhood. Uh I just wanna start the relationship from when we met on. And I thought, okay. But red, red flag number one, right? Yeah. Then this story is also in the book. The day of my wedding, I overheard a conversation between him and his dad through the walls. Uh-huh. And the dad said to him, don't marry her. She's gonna fuck us over. And I heard that conversation. And I went to my best friend who was my bridesmaid. And I told her, I'm canceling this wedding. And mm-hmm. I remember because she cried for weeks after after this all came out. Right. She takes me to the, you know, she takes me to the balcony and she's like, look at all these people. Look at this insane production of a wedding that you're having. He is for you. And I remember telling her I wanted to end the wedding because I felt like he was going to turn just like his father. And uh-huh. his father and I never got along because his father mm-hmm. never wanted us to be married. Mm-hmm. So that was. That was my gut instinct. And because of my friend persuading me. And you to didn't home, know
0: what his father did.
1: I didn't know. I didn't know. But I knew that there was, was just nothing. right. <laughs> I knew that there was something there. You know, you always know. But you don't. You, know, you you start having children. And you start running a business. And, and you, you get lost in the sauce. So right. anyway. I come home from the DA office. Second shift. It's 6 a.m. And he says, I need to talk to you. And I said, Can this wait? I'm so tired. And he said, No, I need to talk to you now. So he's like, Can you sit? And I said, Okay, I I sat. Keep in mind I had my gun on me. I had it in in my back holster. Uh Uh-huh. So he tells me, he says, I need to tell you something, and it's not gonna, it's it's not good. So the first thing that came to my mind was he got another woman pregnant and oh god, (laughs) having his baby. Okay. I wish that that's what he would have told me because I could have been, I think I could have handled that better. (laughs) Right. Right. He tells me, so what he tells me is me and my father had been part of the Mexican cartel. So I literally sit there and I think in like two seconds, my brain processes, you know, rage and I go like this to my gun and I'm thinking to myself, I'm going to kill him. I'm going to kill him. But then I think about my children and I think, okay, let's calm down. You're a professional. You talk to people like this all day long. Okay. Now your head has to be about to
0: explode now. Like you said, you think about your children and all of a sudden your children are the children of the cartel.
1: Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. Yeah. And of the federal government. Right. (laughs) There's such a marriage, right? right. So I tell myself, I said, Okay, let's separate wife from your profession. And this is me talking to myself. It was like a one or two seconds, really. And I said to him, and in my mind, I said, Okay, interrogate him. Separate your profession from the fact that you're his wife and get all the information out. And I kid you not, this is what I said, because I'm the type of interrogator that I don't yell, I don't scream. I talk to people and I get into their mind in a Mm -hmm. very finesse way. I'm brilliant at this. So the only thing that came out of my mind was tell me more. That's it. That's it. Okay. And people think that it was like this huge, oh my God. No, I cut that off and I said, tell me more. So for the next two hours, he literally just told me everything it just well, all okay. and I literally just was looking at him and I'm just nodding my head okay and then asking
0: but what were you feeling inside at that, that particular moment in time
1: I thought my life was over and I okay. and I and I explain it like this in the book I felt like I got hit by a train and I survived and I was peeling myself off of the rails of the train uh-huh because it hit me so hard yeah. and then everything from the last 10 years started rolling through my mind just the the mm-hmm. little things that i missed all the red flags finally came to light and i said this yeah, at,
0: the, at the doorstep of death your life flashes before your eyes
1: yeah wow but then after he tells me everything he says i feel so much better and I said, of course you do. <laughs> of course you do. You know, this this weight have been lifted off of his shoulders. Of course it has. So the only way that I can describe it was I had to have compassion for him in that moment. And I had to go back to the first time that I interrogated a serial killer. Right. The only reason that I told myself not to be upset of the things that he was telling me that he had did to children and people was think of him as a child and -hmm. the child inside of this man. And that's the only thing that kept me from losing my mind was it's this child that is in this man that got caught up in this and had no choice and was already in it. But, and this is why the second book is called the power of forgiveness, because I had to forgive him in order for me to continue with my life and mm-hmm. for us to continue having a co-parenting relationship with mm-hmm. our children. We made children together. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, that's why I didn't kill him is because of my children, right? And what did go through my mind was, you know, deceit and lies. So my entire marriage was fraud. It was complete fraud. So uh-huh? It didn't sit well. <laughs> I can imagine, I can imagine. But here comes the kicker that a lot of people don't understand. And I'm going to break it down to you guys. A lot of people said, you're not a ride or die. And I said to people, ride or die knows what they're getting themselves into. Most cartel wives are aware of what's going on and they choose that life. Now they choose to keep their mouths shut and they choose to see and hear certain things. Right. But I never I never chose that. I was never given that option. Right. I was lied to and deceived. So then I tell him, you know, I need to report this. And it wasn't because I wanted him arrested. I had to report it because I had given the both to the government. Right. I had said, so and then what people don't understand is. If our calls or our conversations were to be tapped, I'm going to end up in federal prison, not That's him. Right. Because I gave the oath to the government. I had been working for the government for 18 years with this Mm -hmm. type of population. And here Mm -hmm. I am, married to to one. But there was also the big question of who dropped the ball in the government, in the background investigations. Because I have, I continue to have a top secret clearance and we get investigated every five years. So somebody knew, somebody knew. Now, what I do explain in the book is that the the government agencies, they don't like each other. They don't collaborate with each other. FBI, DEA, CIA, they work independently. In fact, they hate to work together. Mm -hmm. And somebody knew, but the simple fact that I was working for the DEA in the wire room, and here I am getting this information, it just, it's insane. It blows my mind. Do you think that you were set up? No, I don't think so. Because his father, his father and I never got along ever. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. his father did everything possible to break us apart. I mean, he (laughs) did everything possible. So I think that my husband really wanted the girl. And I think he was selfish, and he didn't care what I did. And Mm -hmm. I think he thought, you know, this is cartel mindset, I'm going to do whatever the hell I want. And do, you think that, do you think
0: you were set up by the government? Do you think that they had that intel and they just didn't tell you, they let you s- sit there without that knowledge?
1: No, because whatever I was working on had nothing to do with what they were doing. Okay. And so that was one thing because I, I did get asked that question a lot. Now, Adam, mm-hmm. at a, at a, if, if, if we were to break it down in a minute, more minute basis, Mm-hmm. possibly they could have been something of that nature. Mm-hmm. But a lot of the work that I was doing wasn't even in Houston until I started working for the DEA in Houston. Right. And I think he started to feel the pressure because of me being in the DEA here in Houston, which is home. Mm-hmm. And then now I'm listening to the, you know, the undercover agents and all the taps that we have on phones and all that stuff here and in Mexico so i think that that really did put pressure on him for sure and of too course close to home yes and there's a and of course there's a lot of it's it's just too close for comfort right. right but what a lot of people don't realize here in Houston Houston is the major hub of the cartel they are bringing in the drugs and, you know, smuggling the people and, 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 you know, the human trafficking is going on here, but also cartel members are buying buildings. They're buying businesses here to hide money, to wash money, to money launder. And a
0: lot of people. I have a question uh, uh, at this point, um, which is I've run run through my head several times. Are you in any danger
1: with having made this big reveal? No, and that's a great question because I get asked this all the time and I'll tell you why. There's benefits to apparently marrying somebody in the cartel, right? Because we share children together. So why would anybody want to harm me? One, I never revealed anybody's names. I don't talk about which cartel. I don't talk about the movements, the plans. There's no really identifiable information that I'm talking about. Really, all I'm talking about is what happened to me. In fact... I've been talking to cartel members for over 18 years that they knew and they were probably laughing at me. So I was like, I I was, I I was, I was the, you know, the laughing stock, really, because Uh they were like, look at this woman, she's over here trying to change the world and she doesn't know what, what she did. And she's supposed to be this big time investigator, but she's married the cartel
0: and is still clueless. Right. Wow. But,
1: In my defense, I always tell people, you know, I married him with the intent to have children and have a home, and I was running a business, working full time. I had two babies under three at the time. I was breastfeeding. I was doing this, this, and this, and that. So my life was really occupied with everything that I was doing that maybe I did miss some things. But I was just too occupied to even go investigate my own home.
0: (laughs) And then there are the rose colored glasses of love. Yes. Yes. I mean, love, love causes us not to see things that may be just as obvious as the nose on our face.
1: Right. And then the other thing that happened was, okay, so this is so, okay. So I had to, I had to reveal it to my employer, which at the time was department of defense. Mm Mm-hmm. So I always tell this story when I called my boss, she must've been silent for what seemed like 10 minutes because she (laughs) couldn't even process what I was telling her. And she said, she just, she's like, I've never heard this. I don't know how to deal with this. Let me call the higher ups. The higher ups are the Pentagon. That's who I ended up being fully. I, I ended up going under federal investigation for seven weeks. So I went under federal investigation wow. because they needed to make sure that I wasn't a double agent and that I didn't marry purposely. So was there
0: any point that you were worried that that investigation might not go well?
1: Yes. I was terrified. I I tell people this reveal and this investigation was the end of the old Angelica. I was murdered completely devastated. I mean, I literally, there was like a rebirth that happened. And Mm -hmm. I think in the rebirth was the success of the book, how I got catapulted into motivational speaking. And then people wanted to tell, wanted to hear my story over and over. I mean, I literally spun three new industries out of the career that I, that I have, because I, Mm -hmm. I still got blacklisted from the department of defense. So I did lose my entire career. I'm sure. But the funny part that I continue to tell people is doors close so others can open. So the book was done. It was finished. I called the publisher and the CEO of the publishing company will never forget this because we had a global call where I literally reinstated word by word of how I called her. I said to her, Cause the book was already in editing. I said, I need the book back. I'm adding two more chapters to the book. Uh-huh. And she said, there's no way that you you can do that. You're under federal investigation. And I'm like, I'm still going to do it. She said, there's only one way you can do it. He needs to sign an authorization, giving you permission to write what he told you in the book. Okay. So The way that I played it was I went to him and I said, you can keep the house. You can keep all your money and all these offshore accounts. You can keep all these because he had all this money hidden from me. I said, look, I don't want anything. I'm going to take the kids and I'm going to leave. You can keep everything. But the one condition is I need you to sign this authorization. So he said, your stupid little book. Sure, I'll sign it. So he signs it. That authorization said that him and his family and anybody else could not come after me legally for the rights that he was giving over for me to be able to write this in the book. But wow. he was thinking his money, his stuff, you know, all that. Yeah, the book hit bestseller. And then eventually I ended up selling the story to Hollywood for a feature film. Good so, for you. Yeah. <laughs> Good
0: for you. Crazy that, that. Well, I mean, you had help coming to that. Uh, um, that decision. But uh, that, I mean, that was brilliant. That was absolutely brilliant.
1: Yeah. I mean, it it really, you know what it is? I felt when you do something for so long and then you lose it and you feel like all of you've done is, you know, because when you go work for the government, you're giving your life away. You know, I could have died so many times doing undercover work and I didn't. Mm -hmm. But they were so quick to let me go. But they did give me a condition. The condition was. I had to divorce him as soon as possible cuz when the, when the investigation was over they tapped the phones they tapped the emails they took the laptops the whole shebang right right I got polygraph I got interrogated I was now on the other side of the table and I remember sitting there like you're really going to ask me that right I was you know I was like how am I on this side I was always right. on that side right and, um it it was crazy it was a crazy crazy life and 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 i remember thinking to myself you know because i went through everything the grief process i said how is this my life Mm
2: -hmm. and in that
1: moment you don't think that this can turn into good or that this can turn into something better and it it absolutely did so in the lowest worst moment of my life the best life was 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 birth and that's and I think that goes with, with trauma is when something horrible happens, something great is about to emerge and you never think of it that way until you process it. And then until you get through the other side. So, so you've I mean, done
0: a lot of grief work, yes. a lot of anger management work, yes. uh, <laughs> a lot, a lot of rebuilding from, you know, past life trauma uh, you know, there's just been tremendous drama. There's been tremendous pain and tremendous insanity. Yeah. You emerged on the other side with a lot of good things going on. How often do you find yourself drawn back? Because even though we, we do the grief work and all of the work that we do, that's a huge impact. And 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 we do go back and revisit and reprocess and then you know one step forward and another two steps back, three steps forward, one step back. How often does this come up where you have to revisit those those feelings?
1: I would say it, it comes up, you know, it's part of my life. I mm-hmm. probably tell my story, you know, twice a week, maybe, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes three times a week. So it's always there, and it's been. It, it's just. It's part of who I am. It's part of my past. It's it. It's part of yeah. of the old person that I, I pretty much destroyed and rebuilt. Mm-hmm. But I continue to do the deep internal work, and mm-hmm. I continue to do uh, the finding because there's pieces left behind that kind of flow into other areas of our life. You know, obviously with relationships, it's very difficult. Yes. For for me to get back into relationships and and really do that thing, I was with somebody for ten years, and then that person deceived me while I had you know his his babies. So, so you have
0: some trust issues.
1: <laughs> I definitely I definitely have some trust issues. I I definitely have some uh you know the story issues. But I will say this, because I'm such an expert in my field, I feel that that came in so handy in dealing with this. Because as interrogators we definitely compartmentalize things in our minds and we allow things to not get into our emotional bank, but when right. it's something close to home, it just it, it tears us apart. you right. know sometimes I'll be watching a kid's movie and I'll be in tears and and my kids are like, why are you crying?" And I'm like, oh my God, Nemo's lost but yeah. it's, it's really in those moments where, your body is trying to just evoke these emotions and get them Mm -hmm. out of your system. So that's for sure. I definitely deal with it on a continuous basis. Yeah. I mean, how can you not?
0: Right. Right. So what are some of the things that you do to cope? Because you've been through a tremendous amount and obviously you have tremendous coping skills. I mean, the the job that you did gave you some coping skills, Your, your background, where you came from, gave you some coping skills and just surviving this mess gave you some serious coping skills. What are your coping skills? What do you do to get through when you're traumatized like this?
1: Yeah, I do a lot. You know, I'm a, I'm a big proponent on therapy. Every time I go on podcasts, I talk about therapy, the power of therapy, the power of going through things and the power of, of, you know, unraveling and peeling back the the layers of the onion so therapy, and of course, I'm sure people follow me on Instagram. They see how I work out. I'm obsessed with working out and bodybuilding. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, I script and I do the grounding and just the self-care, you know, the physical, the mental and the spiritual. Right, right.
0: Now, I mean, one of the things that I have to think about in terms of the, the therapy, you are an ethnic minority. Mm-hmm. And so many of the ethnic and racial minorities have a difficulty with the idea of letting somebody else into our heads, particularly if it's not somebody of the same race and culture. How difficult has that been for you?
1: You know, it has not been difficult and I'll tell you why, because so when my friend was murdered I couldn't sleep. I was having nightmares, and I don't even—I didn't even even know how a sixteen-year-old would process something like that. But I remember I went into a major deep depression, and it was my Spanish teacher in high school, Ms. Rudkey. She's always out there. She's still alive and she's still listening. And I love her. She sent me a message today. She pulled me out of class and she said to me, "You need therapy." And us. Because we're, you know, I'm, I'm a minority, I'm Mexican, I'm living in the hood. I don't know what therapy is. We, we mm-hmm. have, no, you know, growing up, it's like, you know, something hurts, walk it off. right? <laughs> and so she really did save my life. And so I was exposed to therapy when I was 17. And mm-hmm. I saw what it did for me. And I saw how it healed me. And I saw how we were talking about things about when I was three years old and I was being molested mm-hmm. by a neighbor it mm-hmm. came out in therapy mm-hmm. and it was so liberating. And so f- for me, therapy, you know, and I say this story all the time, if you post a picture of you at the gym every single day, everybody's like, look at her, she's working out. But if I post a picture at the therapist's office every single day, people automatically say, well, what's wrong with her? And she's crazy. Right. But there's this continued taboo about mental health when really mental health is, is self care. And right. it's so imperative to have
0: it. Absolutely. And I mean, you know, we we all have mental health issues. We all have pain in life. We all have baggage that we carry in life. And it's illness. I mean, all of us have some degree of mental illness. And, you know, if we had pancreatitis, we wouldn't hesitate to go in to get checked out. If we have diabetes, we go when we get blood tests, you know, if we have high blood pressure, we take medication, right? When it comes to mental health, we're so resistant because of the stigmatization that has come with it in in the
1: past, especially as minorities, because even minorities, they push back even more.
0: Yes, yes. And I mean, there is that that piece of not wanting, especially if the uh, therapist is not of a, a minority., um, and in the case of women, if they're not a female, there is that fear of letting them into our heads, you know, what if they mingle what's in there? What if they' manipulating in it. A trust a trust thing, you know, what if I cannot trust them, uh, whether it be because they are intentionally trying to mess me up. Or because unintentionally, because of their own personal perspectives, they are not giving me what I need in order to heal. We're very much frightened uh, of that. Right. And, and, you know, across the board, pretty much most of the ethnic minority populations, the racial minority populations have been put upon at some point in time by majority populations. So we all have trust issues.
1: Yeah, at first in some way, shape or form, I agree, especially as minorities, because we're already having to deal with racial things and neighborhood things and all types socioeconomic. Yeah, so and then on top of that, you throw mental health in there and then the people expect us to be sane and nobody, (laughs) nobody ever teaches us to take care of our minds
0: right and,
1: and even our health you know minorities yes. have the worst health because exactly. no one teaches us that
0: so exactly
1: I agree. exactly. so that's why i'm
0: here yes. <laughs> I, yes. I, I, I yeah i want to change that trajectory you know it's like you know this is this is the generational wealth that i want to to to, to give back, yeah. To give forward, you know, because uh, health is is wealth. Health that is is, is more yeah. valuable than all the money in the world. So I I want to see everybody, the entire world heal, and um, you know, to to be in a happy, healthy space. And right. part of that, for many, 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 really, probably, pretty much all of us, really should entail some form of therapy.
1: Yeah, and I think now, corporate, you know, corporations are starting to follow suit. And now you can take mental health days. And they're, you know, they're not going to crucify for it. You know, and I spoke, I spoke about this in the government, whenever you kill somebody in the line of fire, you automatically go to therapy. It's, Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's something that you have to go do. It's mandatory. Makes, so, sense.
0: Makes, makes sense. sense. Makes sense. I mean, sense. it's
1: it's extreme, but it comes with the territory. So, right, right. And I think one of the
0: good things that's happening uh, right now, you know, we go through these periods in the media and, and everything where, you know, there's a new buzzword, you know, every time you turn around, there's a new buzz and some some other interest. And right now we're in the buzz of mental health. Yes. And, you know, the celebrities are all revealing. The athletes are, are all revealing. Folks are slinging mud at each other and, and you know, bringing stuff out into to the open. So the media is very, very messy right now. Entertainment's very messy. Sports are very, very messy. But the healthy thing about that is it brings out into the open that these are all people. And these are the people who are supposed to have been successful and supposed to have made it in the world, and yet they have all of these problems bubbling to the surface.
1: Yeah, I and mean, you, i mean, look, you, you're from you're from Hollywood, so you would know <clears throat> all these people with all the money, all the accolades, all the recognition, all the success are the most oppressed because right. of everything that they have to deal with—the public eye, the comments, everything. That's
0: right. You know, they they have high levels of suicide. Obviously, we see it happening all the time. The children have, you know, high levels of of drug use, uh, high levels of dysfunction in the homes. I mean, you know, these people have tons of money. And yet when I work with families, some of the most dysfunctional families that I have worked with have been some of the families with the most money, the most assets. Yeah. Mm hmm hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, it is, you know, they, they live under a microscope. And it, it, there are lots of pressures, people, people are like, Oh, boo hoo, you know, poor, poor them, but they don't really understand no they live
1: that. under their microscope. And I'm starting to get a little taste of that.
0: So yes, yes. I, I've been there and done that, too. And it was like, Okay, well, you know what, there's some pressure involved in it, you know, and, and when there is a pressure for you to always be on. And yes. you don't feel on or you know in your case you've got trust issues with relationships and and such but because you're now coming into your your limelight I don't know if you're in a relationship yet but you know if you're not you already know that people are going to be looking in to see how you handle it I know know, people say I'm going to be looking to see see if your next husband is in the cartel
1: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, that, that and, 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 you know, it's, it's so funny because people are like, how do you even date? I was, I was in a mental health conference and during the Q and A, they said, how do you even date? And, you know, be, because if you tell them, you know, you, you, I can choose not to tell them what I do or what happened or the book, I could choose that route. But
0: mm-hmm. then
1: if they go Google me, then they're going to be mortified. So it's yeah. like, in and in the days time. of Google, you can't
0: hide anything,
1: right? So it's almost like, let me give you the disclaimer now, and mm-hmm. you can choose to stay or leave, and then you know. <laughs> but that just has has been the go-to because sometimes that's what you have to do. You know, honesty is 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 best. I would say, <laughs> I, I, I would agree. I would agree. So,
0: are you in another relationship?
1: I have been actively dating. But no, I'm not in an exclusive relationship. And really, I think it's, I have so much going on right now that my time is very limited. You know, I'm a single mother. And so my time is very limited and, and, you know, I do so much. So I think there's a time and place. And right now is definitely not the time. So,
0: okay. And as a single mother, you know, this is just such a a, a bizarre story. How... Do you address this to your kids? Because I mean, you know, yeah. it's
1: it's yes. kind of sorted, you know. Yeah. So my how, kids do you, how do you make it yeah, make sense this to is your a, kids? How, how old are your question. kids right now? They're eight and five. Okay, so, so the
0: eight-year-old is enough to start understanding. And then when mommy has a book and a movie, the eight-year-old is definitely old enough yes. to, you know, yes. to, to get things coming back. So how do you make all of this make sense for the eight-year-old?
1: So, you know, I divorced three years ago. So at the time she was five. So Uh she understood that mommy and daddy broke up because of a lie, Uh but she obviously doesn't know the details of it. She knows about the book. She knows about the movie. She knows that mommy's an author and she speaks and all this stuff. Right. But I did just, I, I said to her, you know, there's some lies that have consequences to them. And the divorce was the consequence of that lie. It Mm -hmm. sounds very, you know, it's very simple. You're you're really boiling it down. But also, I did get both of my kids into therapy after the Mm -hmm. divorce. They were in therapy for for a whole year. And, you know, it's crazy because there is no stigma about therapy in my kids. You know, they were like, we're going to play therapy. It is so much fun. And I wanted to instill that in my children that Mm -hmm. they don't even, it's not a bad thing. It's you, you go and you play and you talk to somebody. Yeah. And hopefully they'll
0: carry that forward into their, their life as they become uh, adults and use it as
2: a tool. But you
1: know, it's it's so funny because when I, when I picked the therapist, she was one of the best um, psychologists, child psychologists here in Houston Mm -hmm. and Dr. Darwin, she's amazing. But I remember when I went in there and I told her the situation, I told her she needed to read my book so that she can get a, the backstory into right. what the kids were going to deal with. Right. She reads it. She read it in like two nights
2: and right. she
1: calls me and she says, oh my God, are you in therapy? And I said, I sure am. But I just wanted to let you know what the context behind why I have the kids here. And and I think that helped her with mm-hmm. what she was doing with the kids because as the kids get older, they're going to understand a little bit more. Right. And I do feel that I made the reason why I have made my decisions is one I've learned from the past. I had to forgive the killer of my friend in order for me to live, in order Mm -hmm. for me to live an unhindered life.
2: Mm -hmm. And that,
1: you know, that's part of my, my power of forgiveness speech that Mm -hmm. was published in Forbes is sometimes we can't live our life because we're stuck in the past and what somebody else said or did to us. And if you don't forgive, you're stuck in the past and you're allowing that person to have control over you. Right. Yeah.
0: And now what age do you think that you'll finally let your daughter read your book?
1: Oh, wow. That's a great question. I would say I would wait until she's, she's probably at least 16 Sixteen or fifteen, it probably will happen sooner, right? Because kids nowadays, right? Because she'll have access. (laughs) Yeah, they go on the internet and read all type of stuff. But one thing that I do do want to specify to her is, you know, I forgave her father, and what he did was obviously wrong, and it had an impact on all of our lives. Mm -hmm. But you know, the power of forgiveness—it's like we have to forgive for sometimes people do things because they had to. You know, Mm -hmm. I don't think he necessarily wanted to lie but i think it, it it was in his like family it it, it was like right. his family or kind of you know what i think about is um the prince he had to renounce his entire kingdom to go be with Meghan markle and right. i feel like that was how he was he he was stuck like do i do i say something do i not because when it, it did come out oh it was it, it was real bad over there <laughs> yeah yeah because I remember his side of the family started saying you know why did you tell her she could have gone another 10 years without knowing.
0: Mm-hmm. So but mm-hmm. they don't
1: realize that he just couldn't hold it in anymore. It was eating right. away at him. And so that's when I was able to see the 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 child in him and and the pain in him. Mm-hmm. So Now did this big reveal result in him going to jail? No, and I will tell you why the government is not going to waste dollars and or manpower on hearsay mm-hmm. because they're not going to open a whole investigation. It, we we got tons of investigations going on. We have tons of active investigations going on mm-hmm. and they didn't, they just didn't care. They only mm-hmm. cared whether I was involved or not. Right. And he's very successful. and uh-huh. and, and I feel like the book almost catapulted him. Because he's in an industry where this type of niche, I guess, it's like Wolf on Wall Street kind of situation, you know, Mm -hmm. and I I feel it catapulted him. He ended up becoming a VP of a company. So, yeah. Okay. So it was
0: uh, in in a twisted kind of way, a win
1: for him. In a twisted kind of way. But also, I also tell people, I think when he was younger, you know, and I could say this because it's in the book when he was younger, I think they were involved more with the actual moving of a product. And Mm -hmm. as he got older and started being more professional, they started being more involved with the money laundering side of it, the Mm -hmm. business side of it. He is a businessman. So that's what I always tell people is there's so many sides to the cartel that people are only influenced by what's in the media and the moving of drugs. But there's so much more. There's businesses involved. There's uh, politics involved you mm-hmm. know there's military involved there's a lot of money involved people are getting paid off and i describe this in the book but everybody's just thinking there's, you know there's thousands and millions of dollars under your your floors of your of your house <laughs> uh, yeah. wow. which is when you watch queen of the south and stuff like that you know <laughs> yeah right right but, yeah yeah. So do you watch those shows often, those types of shows? Look, I'm going to be honest with you. It took me two years for me to finally be able to watch Ozark. And I, I did yeah. watch Ozark because I wanted to get a little insight of what it was like when he was growing up. And it, uh-huh. it, I would say it's 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 pretty it was pretty good. But the reason why I don't watch those shows is because I know what's really going on. I've been interrogating Cartel members, killers, murders for the last 18 years. I know what's going on. Yes. So, a lot of these movies and FBIs and CIAs and Homeland, all that stuff is a lot of that stuff is not real. You know, yeah. they, they glamorize the jobs a lot. And let me tell you, there's yeah. nothing really glamorous <laughs> about being an undercover agent. There was never anything glamorous about it.
0: Right. So. Right. Yeah. It's the same with medicine. People ask me, oh, well, you know, do you watch this show or that show, this, you know, this medical show? And it's like, no, I had my elbow up someone's rear. You know? right. it, like, it is not right. glamorous. It's just <laughs> not, you know, and, and no, you know, the doctors and nurses are, are not all off in the closets
1: together. No, we're too exhausted for any of that. All that. You know, it, it's exactly right. Like people are like, you know, the 007s are are you really riding in Lambos, and I'm like, guys, we're not a billionaire party stealing diamonds while yeah. people drink. There's no that stuff does not exist. You know, even cartel members. Like if you if you look at the biggest cartel members, they're not the ones that own billions and billions of dollars. They're not driving around in Lambos. They're driving around in broke down Toyotas. They're trying mm-hmm. to hide. So right. that's the same thing with undercover. We, we weren't. Was I sliding down the side of a building? For sure, I was. But I wasn't in, in makeup and a cat suit and looked like <laughs> Angelina Jolie. No, I was like covered in shit and mud, and you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
0: not exactly a glamorous image. Yeah,
1: it's, it's not a glamorous job, and undercover work was not made for a woman. And the reason why I say that is because. When are we going to go to the bathroom? Where you literally have to pop a what spot. You? you know? I mean, just those things, you know. We were stuck in vans for twenty-four hours some some days. We and could not just tinker right. in the can discreetly, right. right? And so, I talk about all this in the book, and I talk about the technology now. Surveillance is so different. We can we can hack into you know computers. We can hack into your phone. We can hack into your alarm system. We can hack into your bank account. This is now. But when I was undercover, none of this existed. The yeah. iPhone didn't come out until 2006, so there was no smartphones up till 2006. So and how and did know, when the iPhone came feel? out, people didn't all get it. Like now, it's like everybody right. has an iPhone, right?
0: How did you deal with your fear during that period? Because there were times where you were really kind of out there by yourself. And I know that, you know, the icy fingers of fear had to grip you pretty tightly. How did you deal with that fear?
1: You know, I still deal with PTSD. Uh, You know, I'm I'm not one to lie. I deal with PTSD. Um, There was an occasion where I had 10 guns to my head. And Mm -hmm. And I always tell people, if you've ever had somebody point a gun to you, you will always remember their finger, their hand, and you'll lead up to their eyes and you will never forget what that person looks like because your mm-hmm. eyes always meet their eyes. And yeah, there's a lot of PTSD there. There, there was a lot of, you know, sleepless nights. There was a lot of nightmares. There was a lot of sleep medication involved. You know, in my twenties, there was a lot of alcohol consumption mm-hmm. and, 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 you know, I, I was in my twenties when I did undercover work and surveillance work and, it was very difficult to deal with. But the way I dealt with it was how any other 20-year-old would do. And it would be going out, blowing money and, you know, doing doing the the alcohol drinking. So, right. but as right. a 20-year-old, it's, it's almost like expected, you know, you go right. out and you get drunk. But mm-hmm. really I was self-medicating because I was being emotionally, physically traumatized and exhausted. And I yes. think- we're very adaptable and resilient creatures. And so we it becomes our norm. And right. I remember the first time that I ever saw a dead body, a decayed dead body, it had an ax between its head. And I mm-hmm. remember having the bodily experience of throwing up and being mm-hmm. physically ill. And I remember one of the investigators laughing and saying, you're gonna get to the point where you can have your mm-hmm. lunch in front of this dead body. And it's true. It's true the more you see it the more you experience it the easier it gets to deal with. So Wow. Yeah. Yeah,
0: wow. All, all, all I can say is wow. That's you know that's, yeah. that's, that's really very very deep. So, you know, you've been through a lot. Was there ever a moment when you felt like you were literally losing your grip?
1: Yes. Oh, for sure. All the time. I I mean, there was moments where I would say, why am I doing this again? Why am I here? You know, so many times I wanted to quit so many times that I wanted to throw in the towel. But again, I chose my career based on my pain. And I really went into the government because I wanted to find out why people do such horrible things to other people. I wanted to understand the mind of my friend's killer. How can you cut somebody's head off arms and legs and, and, you know, this horrendous, horrendous thing that he, that he did to them. And so I think I was really, I was almost what's the right word to say? I was traumatized, but I was influenced and I was obsessed with finding out why. And I think that led me down this in 18 year career, uh, interrogation and, Mm -hmm. It's crazy. I'm I'm really good at what I do. And I do it with such finesse. And sometimes I wonder, you know, maybe, maybe we were just chosen. Sometimes we were chosen to right. do certain jobs, because some right. people are really good at it. And some people aren't. And right. I just, you know, I ended up here and I and I got chewed up and, and spit out. And, and it, it's amazing, you know, because now on this other end, I'm learning about movie production, I'm learning about film production, I know about the book industry, I know how to write books, how to publish books, how to market books, Um, I know about the audible industry, and so you just learn, you continue to learn as an individual as you go through life, and I think that's very beautiful to share with people, because when you're in despair and trauma, you think your life is over, and you think your life is always going to be in that moment, and it's not.
0: And I think that it does help to think about that moment no matter how low or how dark it may seem to think about that moment as something that's strengthening you and preparing you for something better that is yes. to come something very different Yes and, and, and it that gives that people
1: in. hope it keeps yes. it gives people hope and I'll tell you this funny story. When I divorced, I went into divorce care. For those that don't know what it means, it's it's like little counseling when you're going through a divorce. And I remember when I walked in those doors, I was just sitting there and everybody was talking about, you know, their infidelities. And he slept with, he slept with the barista at the Starbucks. And then everybody was looking at me waiting for my story. And I said, let me tell you, I'm gonna give you guys a disclaimer. Everybody that has infidelity, I wish my story was that. And I'm going to make you feel better about your story. And sure enough, everybody's mouth was on the ground. And right? they said, oh my God, I feel so much better about my divorce. <laughs> so even, even that, you know, even that made a difference for somebody else. So I just turned it. I, I always just turn it and say, you know, people think that your life is over. You know, you you somebody dies or somebody gets killed or, you know, financial or romantic or everything. There's always a light at the end of the tunnel. They don't say that because it's not true. It's definitely true. Right. Absolutely.
0: Absolutely.
1: Well, thank
0: you so much for sharing this phenomenal story with us. I mean, this, this was, this was deep. You know? Yes. <laughs> for sure.
1: You're welcome.
0: So, Angelica, we've enjoyed having you here on the show, and we look forward to the book. Can you tell us again what the the name of the book is?
1: So book one is called um, Through These Brown Eyes. It's a memoir through my brown eyes, and I just talk about life as a child, life as an adolescent, life in the government, and then obviously leading towards the end. And its uh, it got picked up to be made into a feature film with a spinoff series in Hollywood. So we are working on that. Writers are writing. And mm-hmm. the name of the movie will be Veritas, which means uh-huh. the truth in Latin. And then I'm working on book two, which is a continuation of book one. And it, that's called The Power of Forgiveness. Wow. You can get it on Amazon and Audible, book one, which is this one.
0: Perfect. Perfect.
1: Hey, Hurricane. Do you have any? He's been so quiet. (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure.
0: I'm sure his mouth was unhinged. You know. Yeah, (laughs) he's like a sponge.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Well, well, well. I gotta say, I mean, you talk. You you closed it well with it is in the movies, and it's definitely you know coming up. And I really, I mean, I was watching and listening, and I'm just laughing. (laughs) It, It is a movie. You know, it it sounded. It really felt like an actual movie that you would watch, and and we've seen some movies of those and i think you know you've talked about the series uh a queen uh queen of the south i think that's queen the of one south, you, yeah, yeah, you mentioned that i mean Ozark, and all these i mean these are things that we've seen i mean bad boys i mean I, there's a little bit of bad boys in there da agents you know his sister and other right. boys too and you got all that stuff and and it is it is a crazy story i mean when you think about it from everything i mean i i, I do have a couple i mean i you know, I think, uh, Doctor, you've covered the few ones that I had, but but it's okay. But but here's the thing: one is that he got he married you, but he knew what you did. You didn't know what he did. Yes, yeah, and which is which is like you know, I mean, to, to your point, I guess it was love. He wanted it so bad, you know, he got it, and doesn't matter. But but you know, it's funny because he knew that eventually this is not going to go any further, and you got into the wiretap unit. That's it. I mean, this is going to be a wrap. It's only a matter of time before you catch him, you know, and then it would be a worse thing, so he came clean, but you gotta think about it, I mean, if you think about the mind right here, is that the folks uh, of that nature, they would be hiding in plain sight as they do, right, you know, everything around I mean, you would know he was right there. I mean, that—that's like being the best, you know, incognito status that you can have. Okay, with in planes night. Literally, I mean, right, right there. You know, who would have thought? And and frankly, you know, as as you had said, I think, Doctor, you asked the question about whether the uh, agencies uh, knew about it. I mean, t- t- you're right. I mean, you guys go. I through- think
1: one. I think one knew for sure. I think one
2: knew. Well, yeah. they, so there's a whole question about that person and 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 why they didn't, you know, spill the. <laughs> the beans out there. But here's the thing, though. The, you're right. The investigation stuff that you have to go through as an agent over and over, it's continuous. And, you know, I mean, obviously the dude was pretty well covered. I mean, that didn't come up. I mean, because it, what does it take? Two years, at least, you know, for the initial onset when you actually get into something. And the reason I know, because I i was going to be one of those ages myself, you know, I actually had applied and, I, you know, there was a reason I didn't get in. But, But the fact is, that was going to be a whole two years, you know, preview on my life story before I actually even get, you know, picked. And so it it is an interesting concept where people, uh, you know, watching and listening right now is like, why no one caught it? No one picked it up. And you're right. You could have picked it up, too he did it well i mean i mean i have to say the guy was good he did a great job about this to cover all his tracks and mm-hmm. and live a life you know of, of i mean talking about a spy life you know this is 007 in the making yeah. you know i mean he is a, he Mr. is definitely Mrs. Smith, you know
1: there was a lot of things that you know i could tell that that even would be more flags but like i said you know like we never shared accounts we never i never had access to his accounts you know all that stuff that a lot of people would bring up and i was just like well you know we this is how we do it you know but there was ways that i could have gotten more information but i i just you know i was so busy doing everything else and and i trusted him i never thought that this would ever come up so well
2: the other thing is you wouldn't think that if it was that he would have kids with you and stuff like that. I mean, that's the other part, right? I mean, you would think that, you know, this is somebody that's going to put his family and kids in jeopardy in this case. And yet it didn't stop. I mean, you have kids now and they're growing and they will know, you know, who the dad is. And I'm sure there's still a relationship there, which is, you know, I can just imagine when, as they grew up, I mean, that's going to be another work for them because it really think is. about, yeah, think about like everybody. Oh yeah. I mean, people are going to be like, Oh, you're the, the daughter, you're the son of such and such, you know, you know, there yeah. will be great fame in there, but they're also great shame in there as well because people are going to try, you know how people are brutal, the bullies out there, right. <laughs> they're right. going to do their work, you know, Oh, you're, and it's going to be tough. And then of course, you know, the dad is there as well and the family is still there. So they get all these things, you know, and and you're right. You spoke about a couple of things, such as the idea of that, you know, he hasn't gone to jail. And although people know the agency knows what, but you're right, they, they might be maybe unless he's linked to somebody else's, you know, investigation. And somehow it comes from that route that that could still happen. But, you know, who knows? Right. The other part that I just wanted to, to, to touch on is that sadly that after all the work you did, 18 years, you were dismissed because, you know, of something. Obviously, I get it. You know, you should have been the first one to catch you know this, and you didn't. And you can say, well, you should have caught up that in the investigation, and you didn't. So who the right? Have <laughs> right. This? Now, somebody's gonna be a scapegoat, and you know, guess what? That and it was, was me, right?
1: But, it was definitely
2: but, me. But for people that are watching or listening, as you said it best, is that sometimes bad things, bad outcomes, create better outcomes. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Uh, you know, because really, that's what happened. You had a bad outcome, but but. Where you are today is much better situation a lot. Plus your experience and expertise is still with you. And now you're putting out there to podcast, to the shows, to the movies. Yeah, or, I'm a
1: consultant now. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And you know and your I stuff. Still, you know. Here's the thing. I still work for the government. They still engage me. Now, it might not be Department of Defense, but it's other agencies. And I think right. that was another question was, what does blacklist mean, right? So when you're blacklisted from a specific agency, you're specific blacklisted from that agency because the agency has only jurisdiction over them, but it's, they don't say, Oh, you're blacklisted from the government that comes from higher okay. levels. Okay. So,
2: well, yeah. well, you have, you, you have talent in a, quite a few other agencies. I think you'll <laughs> you, I, you were, be good in a lot of areas that, that are, you know, there's a lot of different levels in there and a lot of task force and things like that. So you'll be just fine. And plus now you're you're also to start to Hollywood. I'm sure you're going to have multiple movies and stuff, and your expertise is just going to be up there. And, hey, listen, this is just the beginning of a, a yeah. long run. So, hey, you know, I mean, well, first of all, congratulations on, on the work. You Thank you, you. And, and Thank the speaking. And, and then the
1: you and see, uh, Cheryl, I was published in Forbes for the second time today. So... I did. I did. I, I I
0: sent it over to Hurricane, and we'll be posting that up with this uh, with this show. So, um, I that's I Forbes, did. Forbes Morocco, right? Excited for you. Yeah.
1: So course, Morocco published me last year as uh, the power of forgiveness, my TEDx speech. Uh, they gave me my own article and then and then they decided they were going to put me in CEOs to watch for 2023. And I ended up on there with Alex Ormasi. You know, I'm a big fan of Alex. So now it's like the, the, the levels of elevation have gone up now and people say, really? oh my God, you should be so excited. I'm like, yeah. And I'm very pressured <laughs> to, you know, really? to keep this, you know, that I can't believe they even put me with him, but. I landed there. So yeah, <laughs> this is good pressure. This is good. pressure. This is pressure. good pressure for sure. For sure. Yeah,
0: absolutely. And I just have one question because yeah. what, uh, what hurricane was saying, and then we're going to r- wrap this up. Um, but what hurricane was saying actually evoked a, another thought. You are still raising children with this man. Are you all on good
1: terms? we the, are on good terms and we obviously i have more custody of the kids than he does but mm-hmm. yeah we're still co-parenting good and deal. yeah yeah and and that was a choice that i decided to make um if we went to trial it it, it would have been televised it, it would have been crazy high profile but we decided to settle it out of court uh so yeah so we 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 have a great relationship we deal with what we need to deal with and If you were to ask him, he will just deny everything, but deny, 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 (laughs) (laughs) because he has, he has been, you know, the people that have found who he is and what he does, it it has landed over there and he just, he just denies it, you know, which is a fifth, right? So fifth amendment, right?
0: (laughs) Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Well, I am, like I said, I'm thrilled that we were able to do this interview with you. And uh, certainly we we want right of first refusal. To yes. to be the ones to interview you when the movie
1: comes out. For sure, I will invite you guys to the premiere. For sure, yeah, especially yeah. you, sure You're already there. <laughs> yes, We're, we'll be excited
0: about it. And you know, certainly, you know, as soon as you know that it's coming out, let us know. We'll rebroadcast the show. You know, we'll put out the the information and encourage people to come and and see it. Because for sure, it's gonna be, gonna be it's gonna be exciting.
1: It's really exciting for sure. When do you think that it's it's slated to come out? So we got backtracked with the writer strike. Uh-huh, Crazy. I mean, we're we're yeah. I think it's almost like a year that everything got stopped. So now everything is behind. Yeah. So the, the writers are barely starting to to write the script.
2: So right. it's,
1: it's I would say it's probably going to be another year and a half, okay. uh, if anything, because we're doing you know we're picking actors and writers and permits and. The whole shebang—it's a lot of fun, though, for sure.
2: Any okay. good actors we should be looking forward to?
1: You know, we are not allowed to disclose who no we're thinking, but they all are—all a-listers for sure.
2: Okay, Ooh, cool. Okay. I would definitely count us in.
1: <laughs> yeah, and and That's I can it. say some of the girls that—I um, I, obviously not the the main one—but we did we did think. Um, Selena Gomez, she was up there, and who else was up there? There's this girl, um, the the girl that played. I can't remember her name. I just drew a blank. But it was like we we had thrown a lot of girls up there, and you know some of them were older and younger. And then we even thought about uh, the girl that played Wednesday to play yeah. like the younger version of me while I was an actual undercover agent. Because when I was right. undercover, I was uh, 23 to 25. So. Uh-huh. She would be great. Um, right. I can't think of her name, but um, I can't think of her name either. But
0: I, I know exactly who you're talking. Ortega,
1: about. I think is. I love that show. <laughs> yes, yes, and she played Wednesday, so I think she would be good. So we, so she was a couple of those names that we had uh, for the for the role for my role, but. Uh-huh. Yeah.
0: Cool, cool. Well, we will definitely be looking forward to it. And again, we thank you for coming on the the show with us. We thank you, the listening audience, for joining us for this exciting show. And we will keep you posted as we find out more about when the movie will be out. This, the book, Veritas, is on Amazon. So go out and get your copy. Obviously, this is going to be a fascinating read. And I'm betting that just like the uh, editor that you will not put it down. So go get your copy of Veritas. Well, oh, uh, Veritas
1: is the name of the movie, and Through okay. These Brown Eyes is the name of the book.
0: Oh, yeah, that's right. Through These Brown Eyes, Through These Brown Eyes. So, well, you know, I'm I'm definitely rushing out to get my copy of, of the book. And, uh, again, thank you all for being with us for Chatters That Matter. Let's talk about it. I am your show host, Dr. Cheryl Bryant-Bruce, MD, the celebrity doc here with my co-host, Hisham Ellen Mate. Hurricane H, and we have been interviewing the fascinating, fabulous, beautiful Angelica Robles. So this show, like every other show, When it's over, we'll go on to YouTube. You can find the show on all of the different platforms. And it's also on the radio. Make sure that you go to the show, share it with your friends, hit those like buttons, leave us your comments. Again, thank you for joining us on Chatters That Matter, And we will see you again on the next episode.